0: the number of Christians was growing fast. The church was beginning to reach people far beyond Jerusalem and even beyond traditional Judaism. Now, anyone who was paying attention in the book of Acts knew this success would be coming. Of course, because You know, we're here in church today. We know how the story ends and how the church grows. But also because this kind of growth was something Jesus predicted. He said through the disciples, the good news would extend from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And the disciples could see that happening in their midst. So we know the church is growing. But since you've been paying attention now through the first 12 chapters of Acts, you know that every time God's people start thriving in this book, Satan goes on the offensive. This time through King Herod. Some of you have been spending a decent portion of your lives thinking once something gets good, be careful, the other shoe's about to drop. King Herod is a name you've heard before. But this is Herod Agrippa, not Herod the Great, the Herod whom the Magi visited, the Herod who tried to kill the baby Jesus. That Herod is this Herod's grandfather. And this is not the other Herod you've heard of, the Herod who killed John the Baptist. That is Herod Antipas. That Herod is this Herod's uncle. Herod Agrippa, the one we're going to hear about today, is the apple who did not fall far from the family tree. He has murder in his DNA. Acts 12, verse 1. Listen for the word of God to you today. About that time, King Herod laid violent hands upon some who belonged to the church. He had James, the brother of John, killed with the sword. After he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the festival of unleavened bread. Now, we don't know why Herod went after those first Christians, except that maybe it raised his polling numbers with the Jewish authorities, whose cooperation he needed to reign. Which makes me think, gosh, can you imagine politicians doing something wrong just because it was popular with some special interests? Oh, gosh. Well, that was what was going on in Israel in 44 A.D., Herod executed James first. This was James, son of Zebedee, brother of John, one of the 12 disciples. So why eliminate him? Remember, Herod is doing this methodically. Along with his brother John and Peter, James was in Jesus' inner circle. So often when you read the Gospels, you hear, and then Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. This is the, the tight group that spent a lot of time together. James was one of Jesus' own right hands. Maybe the religious authorities gave Herod something of a wish list. And after James's name was crossed off, Peter was next on the list. But before we find out what happens to Peter, Luke, who we know wrote the book of Acts, tells us something really important. Luke says in verse three, this was during the festival of unleavened bread, which to some of us maybe sounds like a throwaway line, but actually, spoiler alert, this detail pretty much tells us everything we need to know about how this story is going to end. Just by saying, this was during the festival of unleavened bread, we know everything's gonna be okay. Because the Feast of Unleavened Bread is another name for Passover. And what does Passover celebrate? How God crushed Pharaoh and freed the slaves. Passover is exactly when the chains of death couldn't bind Jesus, and a mountain of stone-cold rock couldn't hold him. Herod picked the wrong season the wrong time, the wrong holiday to mess with God's people because freedom's coming. Luke continues in verse four. When Herod had seized Peter, he put him in prison and handed him over to four squads of soldiers. We roughly think eight soldiers to a squad. Four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. Now Herod, you can tell already, is not taking any chances with Peter. Ancient Jewish prisons were often constructed inside of caves with impossibly thick walls of solid rock. No windows, only one way out. So Herod assigns 32 guards to watch this one prisoner, Peter. He has Peter chained twice. And he puts two guards in the cell with Peter literally on either side of him, then the heavy iron door is locked from the outside by the final guard. Peter is in the first century equivalent of supermax. Herod can rest easily knowing there's zero chance of Peter's public execution being ruined by an escape. Peter, you see, is not awaiting trial. He's being held just until the holiday passes, and then he's gonna be killed like James before him. Just for a moment, imagine how you would feel if you were in that cell instead of Peter. Trapped, alone, forgotten perhaps, anxious, Hopeless. Maybe all those things. Even if you've never been in prison. Even if you've never been persecuted for your faith. Some of us can imagine what that feels like. Because we've been in spiritual prisons of our own. And in a word it feels terrible. But that's not what Peter felt. He was calm and relaxed. He was sleeping in that cell. So, where did Peter learn how to be peaceful in a storm? How about when Jesus was sleeping in the boat, when the disciples thought that very same boat crossing the Sea of Galilee was about to sink? How about when Peter saw a calm Jesus being dragged into the high priest's house for trial? Peter learned to be calm in the midst of adversity from the very best, and we can too. Peter did not panic. The church didn't either. It prayed. Verse five, when Peter was in prison, the church prayed fervently to God for him. And maybe that's a second reason that Peter slept well that night. He knows that his church, his family of faith, his community, is praying for him, and he knows that prayer changes things. Peter knows that God heard the cries of the Hebrew slaves in Egypt and answered with freedom. Peter knows that God heard Jesus pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying for deliverance, and how God ultimately answered with freedom from that tomb. Peter knows that God hears the prayers of his people, and God delivers freedom. Verse six, the very night before Herod was gonna bring him out, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He tapped Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly, and the chains fell off his wrists. The angel said to him, fasten your belt and put on your sandals. He did so, then he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Peter went out and followed him. He didn't realize that what was happening with the angel's help was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. After they had passed the first and the second guard, they came before the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went outside and walked along a lane when suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, "'Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel "'and rescued me from the hands of Herod "'and from all that the Jewish people were expecting.'" Oh, my goodness. This is an incredible miracle for sure. It's just a wonderful story of of God's deliverance and God's power. This would be enough miracle for most of us, but God is not done. Once Peter escapes, how do you think King Herod feels when he gets the news? He's embarrassed, he's angry. And more determined than ever to kill Peter. He has to save face. So just like Agrippa's own grandfather, who flew into a rage when he discovered that the Magi had escaped, and then ordered all the innocent babies in Bethlehem should be killed, Agrippa flies into a rage. And he has those prison guards all killed. But as long as Herod lives, Peter's life is in danger. But God doesn't want Peter to live in constant fear. God doesn't want us to live in constant fear and anxiety either. Because God needs Peter to tell the good news of the Messiah and build the church. God needs us to be free, to tell the good news, and to build this faith community as well. Anxiety gets in the way of that. So anything that causes anxiety and fear, that needs to go. God knew that for Peter to be free, Herod had to go. And God takes care of that too. A few days after the escape, Herod is dealing with a completely unrelated foreign policy issue. People from a neighboring country, Tyre and Sidon, came to his palace in Caesarea asking for food aid. And Herod doesn't like them, but he schedules a meeting with them anyway in the largest stadium in Caesarea. It's called the Hippodrome. It's where chariot races were held. You can go and see it today. It holds 10,000 people. All these visitors from Tyre and Sidon are there. And Herod loves an audience. So he dresses to impress. The historian Josephus tells us that Herod himself wore a robe woven from silver thread for the occasion. And when the sun hit it just right, the effect on the crowd was blinding. So when Herod comes out to give his speech, the crowds are literally blinded. And when he speaks, they say, This isn't the voice of a human. This is the voice of a God. Herod, age 54, was dead within days. Some say he was poisoned. The Bible says it was worms that killed him. Worms sent by God. And when the story ends, Peter is free and Herod is dead. The danger of hearing a story like this is is to think, you know, it's just too good to be true. These things don't happen today. Um, It's all made up just to make people feel good. But I can tell you, we know from history that Herod was a real monster. That Jesus, uh, excuse me, James, the disciple, was really killed for his faith like Stephen and Jesus and John the Baptist before him. Peter was in a real prison and he actually escaped with God's help. If we're honest with ourselves, you and I know that evil itself, in some form or another, whatever you call it, wherever you find it, evil is real. Prison walls are real. Death is real. Some of you know that just too well from the losses we've experienced as a congregation in the last several weeks. Villains are real too. People who are out to hurt and destroy and damage and instill fear in others. There are real Christians in real prisons in some parts of the world today because of their faith and because of those villains. Many real Christians, just like us, live in fear and hiding. So let's be honest. This is no fairy tale. It's a true story of God's power and God's faithfulness to his people. You may be facing some incredibly real challenges this morning. And obviously I don't know exactly what they are, but I know what mine are. Maybe yours are things like depression or grief or loneliness, chronic boredom, ALS, fill in, fill in the blank. What, what is your prison? Christians don't pretend that life is just one long joy ride. That is not our story. No, we know we face big problems every day. We also know that there is no problem too big for our God. So what has you trapped and chained right now? Whatever that is, Get some sleep tonight, because God's got this. Who is coming for you? Tell your own personal Herod, you can't stop me. God's got this. God is not going to forget his faithful children. And God doesn't set us up to fail. Remember how Jesus said to Peter, You are Peter, and on this rock, on you perhaps, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So Jesus told Peter that Satan doesn't stand a chance against God's people filled with God's Spirit. And what was the final impact, the final outcome of everything that Herod did to stop the church? Verse 24 the word of God continued to advance. Next week, we'll watch the church spread even further. But before we end today, let's pray. Today, Lord, we pray for people who are being persecuted, threatened, and killed for their faith. Give them your protection. And if it be your will, give them escape and freedom. Give them boldness in standing up for what they believe. And give us boldness too, as we live out our faith. Help us to use the many freedoms we have to spread your message of love and grace and justice and mercy to everyone. And we pray for people in prison for any reason. Give them hope. Keep them from harm. Help them to use this time to help others and themselves. Send your angels to remind them of your presence and power and to lead them to a future of freedom. And we pray for ourselves today. Many of us feel trapped, stuck, and overwhelmed by our circumstances. Free us from whatever fears, habits, and sins bind us. We thank you for Peter's miracle and for the miracle of your powerful love every day. Amen.